Mm-hmm. So I think what my the the willing to fail philosophy came alive when I started embracing it and said it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to go through hard stuff. Yeah. But accept that there's a gift in there somewhere if you're willing to look. And at a very tough time, I mean, hey, we're in a pandemic right now. Yeah. Lockdown, living at home. It's not fun. No. There's a lot of opportunities to spend more time on my Peloton, doing it, taking care of myself physically and mentally, and learning and growing and connecting with people. So use those hard times to get better, to grow, and uh, be willing to make some mistakes and fail along the way. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Really excited about who I'm able to bring on to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast to start the new year 2021 and our third year podcasting. And Brian Scudamore uh, of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, of Shack Shine, and uh, WOW, uh, One Day Painting. Brian is uh, the CEO, founder of a $500 million organization. Uh, He's written a book just recently called Willing to Fail. And I just love the book. Uh, so many amazing stories. Brian is an incredible storyteller. So highly recommend uh, listening to the book, picking up the book, and you will love the stories on this podcast. The, uh, the themes that he's used, the, the strategies, the mindsets that he's used to build such a such an amazing business and most importantly a business that just does a whole lot of good in the world okay um he really is committed to building entrepreneurs and uh making communities work better and uh i know you're gonna love this podcast and uh thank you brian for coming and joining us on the leaders of tomorrow podcast cheers everyone uh and uh listen right to the end it's fantastic so, Brian, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. So excited you, you came on and joined us. Yeah, happy to be here. I remember the day, uh, or I don't remember the exact day I met you, but I remember meeting you, and we've always connected over business and EO. And so, hey, happy to be here. I love uh, talking about business and how we're all changing the world. So, Yeah, no, no. We're, we're, as I was saying, we're up to a lot of similar things. And, and you probably don't know this, but you made an enormous contribution to our business. And you, you're, I know your smile, like, what do you mean by that? Well, Andrew Britnell, who is a mutual friend of ours and unfortunately you know, passed, passed away a number of years ago, he led the Western Canada business. And years ago, I remember him calling me really quite excitedly. We were talking quite regularly and he said, met Brian, he's amazing from EO. And he was telling me, we've got to focus on systemization mm-hmm. and really, really dig into building our systems. And not to say that, by the way, not to say that that was totally light years ahead of us or anything, but just in the way you got him to understand it and the way you really helped him get it in a higher level made an enormous contribution to us. That's wonderful. Yeah, I love yeah. Andrew. Great, great guy. So 
nice to know, you know, I mean, he's made an impact. We've made an impact on each other. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So why don't we, uh, just for our, just for our young leaders listening, why don't you go back to sort of, you know, coming your, your, your roots as an entrepreneur and telling, telling that amazing story. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, if I go way, way back to the beginning, before I even started my business, my grandparents were entrepreneurs. They had an army surplus store in San Francisco, which is where I was born. When I moved to Canada at the age of seven, I'd go down to San Francisco every Christmas holiday, every summer vacation and go work in their shop. Right. And it was a tiny little store, but I remember feeling lit up by the game of business and watching how they took care of customers. And it sparked something in me. And, uh, you know, I fast forward then to about 18 years of age. I'm one course short of graduating from high school. My parents, you know, weren't too thrilled with me for not finishing. All my friends are going to college. I talk my way into college, but then I've got to find a way to pay for it. Right. And I'm in, I'm in a McDonald's drive through I see a beat up old pickup truck with plywood side panels built up on the box. And it said Mark's hauling on the side. And the idea just about hit me. And I went, ah, that's what I'm going to do. I bought a pickup. A week later, I had a business called The Rubbish Boys. It was just me, but I wanted it to sound like it was something bigger. There were more people. That's right. Yeah, and off I did. Off I went hauling junk, and right. that basic business model became one eight hundred got junk years later. But more importantly, I was learning more about business by running a business. And it's yeah. ironic that the business that funded my college education also inspired me to drop out. So I sat down with my dad. My dad's a bit of a hard ass. Sorry, dad, if you happen to hear this one, but he is someone who is a liver transplant surgeon and did more schooling than anyone. He has high yeah. regard for higher education. And I told him I was quitting school. And he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. And I told him I'm learning more about business running one than studying. And so I left and the rest is history. Today, we've got about a half a billion dollar uh, business in Canadian dollars across our three brands. And And the one thing though, like, because I know, frankly, in our in our business model, as as you know, student works management program, you know, from right across Canada, we regularly will have people thinking about dropping out of school. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the things I want to distinguish is the dropping out of school and the constant. You are a constant lifelong learner. I just know that, right? So, so mm -hmm. describe how how you've learned so much, what you do to keep that learning going. Mm -hmm. As you've as you've continued to you know move your move your career forward, yeah. So I love learning. I, I was a kid that drove my parents nuts because I would ask question after question. They're just like, for gosh sakes, just shut up, right? You know, I'm so <laughs> curious and I want to learn. So I think my style of learning was asking people questions. Very okay. ADD. I have a hard time sitting down, which is why school doesn't work for me. And got it. The worst thing was sitting in class going, "You have to learn calculus." Oh. Same with me. <laughs> so I think I found that it was school that didn't work. It wasn't learning that didn't work. Right. And so I would go out and buy a ton of books and, and find that I wouldn't read them because, again, so ADD, I couldn't focus on them. So I'd fill okay. up these shelves full of books. But then I'm like, how am I going to learn? How am I going to improve myself and make the world a better place? And so I just got out and started talking to people. And I would okay. approach different business owners and I'd send them an email or figure out how to get an intro and I'd pick their brains. Okay. And that became the way that I would grow. I, I created what I called my own MBA. Okay. I couldn't get a real one. So I created something called the Mentor Board of Advisors. And this was people I could reach out to and say, hey, I got an idea. Can I run this by you? Hey, you've built a business. And later it turned into some pretty big 
sort of mentorship from Fred DeLuca, who was the founder of Subway. Yeah. He would call me in between meetings and we'd chat. He'd run me through ideas and advice. And that's how I still learn. I mean, I haven't stopped learning. I learn more now than I used to learn when I was 20 or 30. Absolutely. And, and actually, just to share, what has been your hit rate in terms of reaching out to people and how often they reach back in terms of, uh, you know, a positive connection and willing to assist? Yeah, I have a great question, Chris. I have not tracked it and sort of said, hey, it's just generalization, generalization. Yes. Yeah, I, I'd say most people. So yeah. more than half for sure connect with me. Now, someone might be listening to this going, oh, well, Brian's built a half a billion dollar business. If he sends out an email, they're going to respond. Maybe now, but back in the day before anyone had any clue what our business was or who I might have been, they would respond. And my secret was find a commonality and find a way to connect with someone and and show that I want their help. I don't want their neighbor's help. I don't want another entrepreneur. I want their help because they are the best in the world at. And so people reach out to me. I help all the time. I mean, it's rare that I won't even reply to an email that I'm too busy. Right. So I think entrepreneurs like or leaders like to help other leaders. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And by the way, I know the question was young Brian, not Brian of today. Sure. For sure. sure. Right. So it just for our leaders, it's like, yes, it does. It does work because it takes something just just to go ask. It takes something to sort of fear the rejection. And well, if, but because I still I still have concerns when I reach out. Oh, will they care? Will they remember me? Like I got to tell you, Brian, when I reached out to you, I go, well, will Brian remember? I, I I remember. Yeah, we had a good connection. But anyhow, it's it's you don't remember, right? So it's 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 all about that small little voice in our head that makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, and I think that a, a piece of advice, perhaps many of your leaders have asked for it because they're just Please. listening and they can't talk, but. What I would say is something that's worked for me better than anything else is trying to email someone directly versus social media. I find there's so much social media and it can get lost and buried. And a lot of these leaders aren't spending time going through their own social media. So the better way to get a soulful connection is to reach out through through email. Good idea, because so often it's actually managed by staff, right? Their, their social media, you know, just... Yeah, exactly. So that's something that's something that's great. You know, sometimes you have to guess on people's email addresses and try and figure them out. We had a massive computer problem with our servers and it was a debilitating sort of couple of days in our business years ago. And there were Dell computers. And so I right. thought, you know what, I'm not getting the help I need here. I'm going to figure out how to get in touch with Michael Dell. So I uh, emailed <laughs> Michael at Dell.com. And sure enough, I got a reply. <laughs> Just awesome. Just awesome. That's great. So let's talk about early days, you know, as, as, as you started to scale your business, you know, what were some of the challenges that you ran into? What were some of the difficulties that, that, that you needed to overcome? Finding the wrong people has been the biggest single mistake I've made several yeah. times. Yeah. We try not to repeat our mistakes, but sometimes you need to learn and get hit over the head with a hammer a few times. 1994, five years into my business, I was a half a million in revenue. Mm-hmm. I had 11 staff. And they say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Yeah, I think I had nine bad apples. So I decided to bring all 11 people into a morning meeting. And I said two words. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that as your leader, I've let you down, haven't given you the love and support that you've needed to be successful. Maybe I didn't find the right people. I don't know, but I don't know any other way than to restart. Right. And so I let the whole team go with great respect to who they were as human beings, even though they right. weren't the right people for my team. 
Right. And I started again. So I went from five trucks down to one. Wow. I had to rebuild the business over several months. But the lesson I learned was find the right people and treat them right. It's all about people. That's all you've yes. got in the company. Yeah. And I yeah. rebuilt and sure, surely uh, learned a really good lesson, a valuable lesson that find the right people, treat them right. We have an incredible culture today because of the lesson I learned that day. Now, again, I've repeated the mistake and made some wrong hiring decisions, but they've been few and far between. Yeah, as we as our business continues to grow and make make progress, it's all about people. It's all about talent density. I, I read uh, Reed Hastings' latest book. He talks about talent density, and it's just it's so true. You get better and better franchisees or operators. They make each one better and better. They, you know, I'm sure that's what you have going on in your amazing business. Is just mm-hmm. the quality of each franchisee makes the quality of other franchisees so much better. Yeah. And how do you actually, I, I guess I, this came up just, I'm going, hold on, I'm talking to the, one of the world's masters in franchising. So what do you do to stimulate that cooperation and competition between your franchisees to get the best out of your uh, out of them and your for, for your business? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. I think the biggest thing is find competitive people. Yeah. So a lot of the people we bring on board as franchise owners, we, we look for what we call the four H's. Okay. Happy, hungry hardworking and hands-on. Now that group, I think one of the underlying traits in those four H's is they're competitive. They love sports. They love teams. They see that running a franchise and a business is a chance to build a team, make a bunch of money, grow something, but be competitive with people in a non-competing business. Yeah. So our franchise owners, they know the best way to learn is to pick up the phone and call a Shackshine franchise in another city and say, yeah. hey, dude, we're in the same business, but we don't compete. How do yeah. you do this? What's going on? What's working? So I think finding competitive people that want to win, that are driven, has been a real core asset for us. Yeah. No, we see similar things. Like in, in terms of, you know, how do you stimulate, um, do, do you have leaderboards and, and competitions or what sort of things do you do like that, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. Both. So if I pick on Shackshine for an, for an example, and we've got a guy, Paul Ballack, who I think used to work with yes, you Yes, he, he did, yes. Worked with Andrew Brittnell, and he came yeah. over to us years ago, and he's he's been single-handedly building our Christmas light business for Shackshine, and he, no pun intended, is lighting it up. The guy is a <laughs> rock star, clearly coming from great training with you guys. Oh, thank you. But the, the thing that he's bringing to us is a lot of that competition of ranking people each week. So we've got a goal this year, as an example, $6 million in Christmas lights is what we're trying to sell and produce this year, which is up yeah. 10x over three years. Fantastic. And so Paul said, we got to make it fun. Yeah. Paul started growing a beard and he said to everybody, he goes, we are going to grow beards if we can, right? There's some women on our team. <laughs> if we grow can, beards yes. Until we get to 6 million. And we're not going to shave. Right. Like a hockey playoff deal, right? And sure enough, everybody's been growing beards and following Paul's leadership. And it's that competitive fun. And yeah. so we've called it Decembeard. And it's just, you know, we're oh, wonderful. and it's, it's been great. So a lot of fun, a lot of competition, a lot of leaderboards. And then as you, you and I talked about systems, trying to systematize it. So every week yeah. a newsletter goes out and says, here's the list of who's doing uh, sales towards their goals and how they're doing. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I saw those lights up at Corey Bartram, one of our VP out in uh, in Western Canada. He he was he was using uh, your your team to get them up. So uh, so yeah. So I saw those. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Um, yeah. So 
one of the one of the things I've always admired about One Eight Hundred Got Junk and all your franchises, while painting and Shack Shine, is just guerrilla marketing. You know, I've always considered myself and our teams really great guerrilla marketing. You guys, you know, I don't know, I don't know anybody better. So, can you describe some of the the thinking that goes in and around your guerrilla marketing? What you've what you've done to really make that work? Yeah. So I have this philosophy: always be branding. Okay. And it's just intentionally thinking about everything you do and figuring out how to get the brand out there. So, hey, I, I could have shown up without a baseball cap, uh, you know, but hey, why not wear a brand I'm proud of? When I go park my truck, I got a, you know, a Toyota Tacoma. And of course, it's wrapped with all the brands, kind of looks like a NASCAR. But if I go out somewhere, I pick the most visible parking spot in the parking lot so that people see it. Yeah. So it's just that mindset. Mm-hmm. Our trucks, our vans for any brand. Wow, one day painting, Shack Shine, 1 800 got junk. We take those trucks and vehicles and we park them in high profile intersections. If somebody lives in a neighborhood that's kind of quiet, hey, go park it out three blocks away on a busy street and walk home. It's making sure that all of our truck team members understand that these things are are marketing billboards that are essentially free. Yeah. Why not get them working at night? So it's, it's a philosophy from a PR perspective. It's getting, we're in a storytelling age. Now, mm-hmm. any one of your young and up and coming leaders who, you know, I'm sure everyone uses social media, yeah. see that we're in a storytelling age. We're constantly telling stories. Most of them aren't very good, but when there's good ones and they go viral and we really yeah. take the time to craft the right story, do that with your business. Imagine we all have stories to tell. And yeah. when you tell the right story and it, and it starts to, to blow up in a good way on social, that's amazing. So we always think of our brands. We get out and pitch PR, whether it's been the Oprah Winfrey show yeah. or recent, more recently Gary Vaynerchuk. And, yeah, it's it's important, but it's a mindset. Yeah. Well, and I saw, by the way, I know I I I ride the Peloton as well. I saw you, I saw you post, uh, you know, doing your hundredth ride. Well done, Brian, on on Peloton. So, and again, it's it's like you said, it's just every opportunity. It seems like you know, there's some there's some different way of 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 getting your brand out there, which I really admire. Totally. No, it's um, you know, so a pel- quick Peloton story. If you saw that hundred post, I'm I'm going on my three hundredth ride coming up. Well done. What I did is I called my my name, you can change your name. And if you, you want to, we should follow each other, uh, keep each other accountable, but you're probably a better rider. But my name was 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Right. This, once I hit my 100th ride, I changed it to WOW one day. Okay. And then yes. when I hit my 300, I'm going to change it to Shack Shine. So, you know, there they are. They shout you out. And this guy, Cody, goes, ah, oh, come on, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Woo! Right? So, I don't know. I mean, maybe a few riders see it and hear it and make the connection, but have fun. But it's fun is it's fun. Like, first of all, it, you clearly have fun doing it because I saw your big smiling face when you were doing it. And then you oh, post it on your feeds and I'm, I'm sure other people reach out to you. Oh. And one of the one of the stories in the book and is so worth telling was your story about going to Vegas mm. and what you're doing about making your making your brand really live in a new market, a huge market when you were when you're expanding into the U.S. So I'd love if you share our leaders that story. Yeah, it was a fun story. So we had a bunch of our top franchise partners who said, Brian, guerrilla marketing is not enough. Right. We are not growing this business in a way we should. We need to spend money on TV ads, on radio, yada, yada, yada. And I said, that would be great. But A, I don't think it's needed. And B, I don't think we can afford it. I know we can't. 
So I took a group and I took six franchise partners and we created this marketing advisory council. And I said, where's the hardest city to stand out in, in the United States to, to, to just get noticed? And people said, New York, Times Square, or Las Vegas. And I go, ah, we're going to go to Vegas. I'm going to give you guys $29 worth of marketing material. <laughs> we are going to have people notice us, remember us, and it's going to be awesome. So we bought a $26 bowling shirt that said 1-800-GOT-JUNK on the back, a $3 blue wig, yeah. and we all go into Vegas with water guns and, uh, and tattoos, 1-800-GOT-JUNK tattoos. We start giving them out to people, putting them on, and people were on bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and we're walking through these you know, Hard Rock Hotel Casino and all sorts of yeah. places, and people are looking at us going, who are you guys? You're smiling, you're energetic, you got these stupid yeah. blue wigs. And everyone was talking to us and we became almost celebrities that night in this club. I mean, we looked like dorks, but we were just like, people just loved us. And it made me realize the message I was trying to tell our franchise owners, you don't need a lot of money to stand out Yeah. for, you know, the 29 bucks a person we stood out and people were talking about 1-800-GOT-JUNK all night. And so that's been, again, that mindset philosophy of just get up, take your business seriously your customer experience and so on, but don't take yourself too seriously, put on a wig. So we took the blue wigs and later on, we got press, the Vancouver Canucks in our hometown. We put on blue wigs because it was the same color as the Canucks. We had everyone in the office wear them. We got out in the field and uh, and wore them. We gave them out at the Canucks game. And we were on 60 plus news media outlets during the playoffs, twice on the front page of the Vancouver province newspaper. For free. I mean, you can't yeah. buy that type of ad advertising. Well, you've you have done so well in the media game for for years and years and years. Any tips for our for our young leaders listening to it? Like how how do you how do you make that? How have you been so successful and so consistently successful? Yeah. Get out of your comfort zone, pick up mm. the phone, call the press and say, I got an awesome story idea for you. Or call up a um, an influencer or send right. them a note and just say, Hey, I got an idea that your audience would love get out there and tell stories. Yeah. I mean, it's again, we're the, in the storytelling age, people want stories. I, uh, I wrote a book recently or maybe a couple willing years to ago, fail. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Willing to fail. And what's interesting is my co-author Roy Williams, who's known as the wizard of ads. So we do a lot of radio. Now he writes the creative. He pushed me for about eight years to write a book. He's a big author and has done a ton of books. And I said, Roy, I don't want a book. I don't need a book. My ego doesn't need a book. I'm not a big reader. I actually do like to write. And so he kept pushing me to write a book. And, and I said, well, why do I need to do a book? And he said, it's not about you. It's about everyone else. It's about the stories they need to hear learning about our guerrilla marketing or things we've yeah. done in an interesting way that can inspire others. And so I said, if you really believe that to be true, let's write a book. Yeah. And so we, uh, we did the book. And so, again, proof that the storytelling age, if we can inspire others, I'm 50. I've done this now for 31 years. If I've yeah. learned a thing or two that someone finds interesting and can be inspired by, then, hey, it was it was worth writing a book. Oh, for sure. For sure. And so one story I love from the book was Paul Guy and uh, and and uh, the Vancouver to Toronto story. And I had the opportunity to train Paul Guy at YEO in a in a form training. So so I know Paul, a uh, remarkable guy. But but anyhow, if you could tell that story. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. It was pretty serendipitous that I was thinking about the franchise model. 
wanted to have a model where others could come in and learn from our platform. You know, similar to you, I know you've got the student franchise type yeah. model, which is where we started as well. But then we said we, the seasonality of our business is year round. We've got to figure out yeah. a way to get that franchise humming. So we went out and, and brought in people very much like McDonald's, where we said, hey, here's the systems, the processes, let's build something bigger and better together. And I toyed with the model and Paul Guy was running my Vancouver operations. And I said, hey, Paul, you're spending a lot of time back and forth in Toronto. You're visiting your girlfriend there. Would you ever consider moving there and starting the first franchise? And he just was like, what? He started thinking, his eyes lit up, my eyes lit up and sparkled and we connected on possibility. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how many months later, but Paul started the first franchise. And he said, I said, I will support you and help you build a successful business. He did a million dollars in his first full calendar year. It took me eight years to get to a million. So I felt disappointed <laughs> that he was so much better because I'm competitive. He's doing about 60 million today across his franchise property. Heard. But wow. Paul said, listen, I will support you back in helping you build out the franchise program on how to support franchise owners. Right. And so he gets in a truck and starts driving across the country and he goes, okay, I'm off. Going to start my business. He gets to Toronto after what, 3,500 kilometers, calls me a few days later and he goes, the Toronto garbage collectors will take anything for free. I made a huge mistake. This is grave. This is just awful. Yeah. What am I going to do? I said, Paul, you know what? I think it's going to be okay. Just stick with it. Just give it, give it a couple of months. Try it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he did stick with it and it did work because he realized while the city would take things for free, they wouldn't come in your basement, your garage, your backyard. Yeah. And there were a lot of things they wouldn't take. Yes. And he realized it was uh, there was a business model there to be had. And off he went. And then uh, it's interesting because we have a guy, Miles Reville, in uh, in Ontario, Shack Shine, who actually ended up taking uh, a Love van yeah. and drove it across the country. Now, he's from Toronto. So he flew yeah. to Vancouver to buy a van <laughs> and drive it across the country, which seems very inefficient. Because he was inspired by what Paul did with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And he goes, I want to be that guy in Shack Shine. It's so awesome. Like, and, and you can see how those stories build the culture, build the competitiveness, build the cooperativeness, right? And just it's just so powerful, right? And as well, it's, it's I already get, you know, well, you can see also from your pictures on your website, it's like you're, you're a group of people who you want to hang out with, right? fun, having a good time, enjoyable, you know, and, and I know in terms of willing to fail, a big part of this is, is, and we talk a lot about that in this business and in this podcast, we always ask about, you know, big failures. How did you overcome them? How do you, how do you, how do you cope with them? How do you think about them, Brian? Yeah. So I think I realized, so let me go back to the book for a second in, in Please. where WTF really sort of came to life was Roy Williams, the wizard of ads says, I keep approaching him as we're writing the book and saying, what's the title? I need a title. I need a theme for this. He goes, Brian, we're just going to story tell. We're just going to interview for 10 hours. And we're going to put all that into a book. Stop worrying about the title. And I said, I'm a branding guy. I start with names. 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Wow and Painting and Chachun. He said, it's not how it works in the book game. You write the book first, the title pops out after. I said, okay, you're an expert. You probably know what you're talking about. We wrote the manuscript, closed it off. And this whole, wow, I failed and I grew. I failed and I grew, failed and okay. I grew type pattern emerged. It's like WTF, willing to fail. I was willing to fail and make mistakes and get the hard learning from it that allowed me to grow. If I didn't have those 11 people that I fired in 1994, 
we wouldn't have this incredible world-class culture. I yeah. needed to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I think what my, the, the willing to fail philosophy came alive when I started embracing it and said, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to go through hard stuff. Yeah. But accept that there's a gift in there somewhere if you're willing to look. And at a very, very tough time, I mean, hey, we're in a pandemic right now, yeah. lockdown, living at home. It's not fun. No. There's a lot of opportunities to spend more time on my Peloton, doing it, taking care of myself physically and mentally, and learning and growing and connecting with people. So use those hard times to get better, to grow, and uh, be willing to make some mistakes and fail along the way. And I'm sure you're finding as well, certainly we are, that this is an amazing time for entrepreneurs to start businesses and 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 serve serve the amazing clients that we have, right? And 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 the, the customers to you know get junk. By the way, if if I, I live two and a half hours north of Toronto, if not, I'd be calling one eight hundred get junk. I've got this big big thing to get out of my house, and I I, I went online, Brian. I go, no, not up here, not oh, north no. of Collingwood. So, oh, but anyhow, so it's it's like you know. You know, I'm sure you found that just in terms of the pandemic. Has it been good for business? Have you guys been excelling through the pandemic? It's been good for business from a revenue standpoint, for sure. It's been harder. It's been more expensive in ways, of course. Okay. Um, However, people are spending more time at home, so they are hauling away junk. They're cleaning offices that they need to move into. You bet. Yeah. Window washing, the whole bit. They're beautifying their home instead of eating out, traveling. And it's, uh, it's been great. I mean, tragedies aside and all the hard stuff that comes from mental health and everything with COVID, uh, there have certainly been gifts in this pandemic for us. Yeah, yeah. No, we found found similarly. So, Brian, as you shifted from, you know, a young student or, you know, just jumping out of school and starting to run this business, what things did you need to change about yourself to have reached where you are so far at, you know, 50, early 50s? I think it was just being willing to to know that I have so much to learn. Mm-hmm. So at 50, by no means am I ever or have ever been the smartest guy in the room. Right. I, I you know, they say if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. I make sure, sure I'm in the right room. I want to yeah. learn from others. And you're a product of product of the people you surround yourself with. So I'm gonna learn from people who have made mistakes, who have risen out of tough times who can help me take shortcuts if I need to, because I want to find a better way. So mm-hmm. I think what, what allowed me to, you know, what had to happen as a young student, now that I'm an older student, it's just having that philosophy and embracing the fact that I've got so much to learn. Right. You know, in my nineties, I guarantee I'm going to be someone going, Oh man, I got lots to learn. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. Well, I know Brian, you've had, you know, and you put this in your book, so I'm not talking out of school. You've had tremendous financial success doing what you, you, you're you doing. So a lot of times our leaders think, oh, I, I want to go do this and then I want to retire or I want to be financially independent and f- financially free. So how do you look at that in your in your life right now? And wh- what, have, what have you seen around, you know, financial independence, et cetera? You know, I, I might be a little unique in the fact that I, for whatever reason, I've never been motivated by money. Right. I, I love experiences. I love traveling. I love spending time with family and friends and doing all that. But, you know, I've never wanted to buy fancy cars and boats and toys. Love to ski. We've got a ski home in Whistler. Very blessed. Right. But I wouldn't know what, short of philanthropy, I wouldn't know what to do with the money. So right. for me, the less I care about money, the more the money comes. It's been weird. Yeah. 
you know, and to me, what motivates me is making a difference. So nothing motivates me more and fires me up than watching other people grow. Yeah. I love hearing success stories of someone starting in our call center and then starting a wow and day painting franchise. And wow. I love watching people come in. Our, our parent company is called O2E Brands, Ordinary to Exceptional. I love watching ordinary people like me, people come into our business and they go, wow, you've got a proven recipe for success here. I want to be a part of that. And they build an exceptional business. That fires me up. Yeah. So, you know, it's a pretty simple formula for me. And when people say, you know, could you retire? Yeah, of course. Would I want to? Heck no. Yeah. You know, I tell a story in the book about how waste management in the early 2000s approached me and took me out on a fishing boat, a couple of garbage executives, you know, sort of <laughs> soprano like I'm out in the water thinking, I'm going to make it back to shore. And these two guys made me an offer that they didn't think I could refuse. And they were talking like 75 to $100 million yeah. at a time when my business was tiny. Yeah. And I said to them, you could give me a billion dollars and I'd say no, because I'm not done. I'm just getting started. And I love what I'm doing and the impact that we're going to have on the world. I want mm-hmm. us to do it, not you. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so how do you manage, how do you manage so that it keeps like being fun and it's not overwhelming? You know, Brian, like, how do you, how do you manage that? Cause I, I, a lot of the same sentiments, well, except this, the numbers, but the same sentiments, I just love what we do. I love the impact that we have on the people, but how do you manage that? Yeah. I mean, that's an easy one too, is, is you make it fun. Mm-hmm. You surround yourself with fun people who are smarter than you, mm-hmm. then it's easy. You know, when the pandemic hit in March and April and how hard that was for everybody. And you got, I got three young kids at home and the whole deal. Yeah. I was still Zooming with fun people who would mm-hmm. keep it light sometimes when we could. Yeah. And we were battling together. Yeah. And so, you know, every day is is a blast because I'm doing the parts of the business that I love to do. Right. I was fortunate enough to find a COO nine years ago, Eric Church. He's the executor. He's the implementer. He is out there charging forward on that side. I get to be the vision, the culture guy. And so, you know, if you're focused on what you love, and I, I, I get that not every day is that way. And especially in the earlier days, somebody has to wear many hats, not just one, Yeah. but you're constantly working yourself out of those hats and giving the reins to other people on the team that you can build with. Yeah. And one thing you talked about vision and I, and I know you've done amazing vision work, you know, in drawing up painted pictures of what you hope to become in the future. Maybe you could share that with, with our leaders. I think it's really inspiring. Yeah. You know, so I'll start by saying before I forget, if any of your leaders want to, I've got an article I wrote on the process of painted picture. I've got um, our painted pictures. I'm happy to share. Somebody could just go onto LinkedIn or any of the social media and just say, Hey, can I see your painted picture, please? And I'll send it off to you. Awesome. Uh, I think that's the best way for people to learn. I will say this. The story was I was at my parents' dock, summer cottage, uh, about an hour from Vancouver, little sort of shack on the water. And I learned through EO when you, the entrepreneur organization said, if you're trying to solve a creative problem, go to a creative place. Mm-hmm. So I go sit down on the water, I pull out a sheet of paper, and I'm in a bit of a doom loop. I'm at a million in revenue and I'm feeling like, I don't know if I love my business. I didn't finish school. I didn't finish college. What do I do? Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, take out the sheet of paper and it's going to be about pure possibility. Only I could imagine and dream what could the future look like. 
And so I didn't say, I hope to be, want to be. I said, we will be in the top 30 metros in North America by the end of 2003. There were 30 cities bigger than Vancouver where we started. So why couldn't it work in those cities? We'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. We'd be the FedEx of junk removal, clean, shiny trucks, friendly uniform drivers. I visioned out this double-sided uh, page of what it was going to look like in five years. And sure enough, we got there in five years. And it was unbelievable because it, it's almost like, Brian, you crystal balled the future. Well, I did. I planted the seeds in my head. Then I took this sheet and shared it with other people. And two things happened. Part of the group said, oh, Brian, you're smoking hope dope here, man. Like, this isn't going to happen. This is a dream. And they, uh, they ended up leaving the business. Yeah. The other half of the company said, wow, this is compelling. I want to be a part of this. I don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to get there. And we did. And we made it happen. So I think a leader's job is to envision the future and then rally a great group of people together who can help make that vision a reality. Fantastic. So if uh, someone wanted to do what you did or, or you know, create you know, something amazing like you have, what key habits would they want to steal from you? Great question. Um, I think starts with vision is the, the number one thing. Right. People will often say, I can't envision anything. I don't think that way. Cameron Harold, who was our COO for six years, used to say, that's not my job, that's yours. And right. so I sat him down and walked him through a process of if you could go anywhere on vacation, what would that look like? Who's with you? Mm -hmm. What are you drinking? What's the feeling like? And he described it all. And I'm like, you know yeah. the vision. You just yes. have to do that with the business. So starts with vision would be the big habit. Number two is surround yourself with the right people. Don't yeah. ever, ever, ever compromise on the quality of people you bring into your organization. And number three, stay healthy. You know, we talked about the Peloton stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we just got to keep ourselves fit mentally, physically, at all times. And I think in my 30s, I didn't pay so such close attention to that. And it made business harder. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. No, and that's something I've really done well. Like, I, I used to be an elite swimmer. And I've always really just, I I, I sort of got that addiction. And it's a healthy addiction. And I, I I kept with it. And it's, there's no question, it, main, it maintains your, you know, physical balance, but your emotional and mental balance as well. So well by by doing that. Yeah, it's, it's, people do not pay attention to it, especially the younger uh, gen set. They, they don't yeah. spend as much time thinking, oh, I got to. I got to sleep well. I got to exercise. Yeah. I got to eat right. You're just like, I got to work hard. No, it doesn't work that way. It out. You're so right. And it's like sleep more like sleeping is one of the most important things. It's, it's like, I, I remember reading a, a great book about treating yourself like an athlete. You know, that's what people need to be thinking about. If you want to accomplish a lot in the world, like think like an athlete, what am I eating? What am I sleeping? How am I, you know, how am I, what, what am I taking through my body? Uh, because it really is a, an enormous effort, you know, building what you've built, building what I built, you know, it, it really makes a lot of effort. And so if you're treating your body well, then you're so much more likely to be able to, to put that, put that energy in. And like you said, make it fun, right? That's really key. Yeah. Don't take yourself so seriously. Like, you know, I, I find a lot of my entrepreneur friends, they, and I do this a little bit sometimes where I go extreme and I'm like, okay, I'm only going to eat this and I'm an exercise all the yeah. time. And you get too serious about it. Yeah. And then when you lose the fun, that's when it falls apart. And yeah. Awesome. So one final question, I know I, I took a little bit more time than I said, okay. but it'll get you to the washroom and back for your time meeting, <laughs> get a little yeah. break, yeah, little yeah, coffee or whatever you need. Yeah. So when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind, Brian? I would say the most important thing in leadership 
you're only a leader if you've got followers, right? Okay. If you if you pretend to be a leader and you look behind there and there's no one there, you ain't leading no one, right? So leadership is about having people that are following you with their heart, with their minds towards something great. I'd say the leader of tomorrow has to understand what they're leading. And it can't be leading something that's trying to get yourself rich. Yeah. People won't follow that. Yeah. You've got to lead something that's going to make a difference in the world. And people might go, ah, jump removal. What kind of difference is that? Hey, we are inspiring lives by changing people's lives, giving them platform on which to build businesses across all their brains. Yeah. And when I realized we are actually having an impact on people's lives, that's been the most inspirational thing ever. So I think leaders need to understand what they're leading. Right. That's interesting story. I guess I said last question. That's, but that's interesting. You got started with kind of rubbish boys, like, you know, and then it became 800 got junk. And then it became, you're actually of all like, you're, you're really about customer focus there, which is wonderful. You're still about customer focus. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. now you're really about leaders and you're about entrepreneurship and really coaching and developing uh, people and business owners. That's it. You nailed it. That's my yeah. purpose. You know, bigger and better together, just taking all these great people and doing awesomeness together. Yeah. Well, I love it. I've spent my life doing it and uh, I won't do anything else, Brian. So uh, thank you so much, Brian, for uh, spending time with our leaders and uh, continued success. And uh, uh, yeah, really, really uh, excited that you came and joined us this afternoon. Yeah, and it was awesome. You and I have a shared common interest in developing people and watching them grow. So I'm happy to be here and thanks for the, the time. Okay, you bet. Continued success. We'll 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 connect soon. Okay. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.